Welcome to Frankly Speaking About Family Medicine, where each week, Dr. Frank Domino, along with his guests, translates today's late-breaking clinical research and news into tomorrow's practice. Now, broadcasting from the University of Massachusetts Medical School in Worcester, Mass., your host, Dr. Frank Domino, professor in the Department of Family Medicine and Community Health, and editor-in-chief of the 5-Minute Clinical Consult series. Mark is a 53-year-old patient of yours, and he's here for follow-up of his hypertension. He was diagnosed last year, and after a trial of diet and exercise changes, his blood pressure remained above goal. You started him on lisinopril 10 milligrams a day. Three months ago, you noted his pressure was still above goal and added hydrochlorothiazide 12.5. Mark's blood pressure today is 145 over 82. When you discuss it with Mark, he asks, my blood pressure is always high at this office. When it is taken at work by the nurse, it's always much better. I'm taking these medicines as prescribed and I exercise just like you recommended. What's wrong? You note Mark is sitting on the exam table and that the only visible cuff in the room is the standard adult cuff size. He, Mark is six feet, two inches tall, and weighs 240 pounds. Hi, this is Frank Domino, professor in the Department of Family Medicine and Community Health at the University of Massachusetts Medical School. And joining me on today's episode is Dr. Susan Feeney, family nurse practitioner and assistant professor and program coordinator of the Family Nurse Practitioner Tract at the University of Massachusetts Medical School Graduate School of Nursing. Hi, Susan. Hi, Frank. So Mark's a pretty common patient in my practice, um, and he's sitting there on the table. How do we go about determining what's an accurate blood pressure for him? Well, it's very interesting. the, the guidelines for the last, I think the JNC7 and the JNC8, and now the recent AHA ACC guidelines, are very explicit about proper, uh, obtain, a proper, proper method of obtaining blood pressure. And when you think about what all the aspects are, and it's really to uh, bring someone's, um, take away extraneous re- reasons for their, for their heart rate to be up, um, I think most of us aren't meeting the mark. Number one, you have to make sure that the patient is relaxed and appropriately prepared. So they're supposed to be seated for five minutes. Um, they're supposed to be um, not have had any caffeine or had any cigarettes for 30 minutes before. Um, you're supposed to not talk to them, and they're not supposed to talk to you while you're obtaining the blood pressure. They're supposed to be seated in a chair with their feet flat and their back supported because if they are trying to hold themselves up on a table, that increases tension and increases blood pressure. Um, they should be, um, you should make sure that your equipment is proper, that it's been calibrated, and they've looked at studies and found that a very high percentage of offices haven't even looked at their, their, um, their blood pressure monitors to see if they've been calibrated recently. Um, the cuff is supposed to be the proper size, and we have a, we all know that it's supposed to you know go around. It couldn't, shouldn't be too tight or too small. Um, the arm should be positioned at at heart level and should be relaxed. There should be, um, and more importantly, there should be a minimum of two pressures taken. So they take you take an initial, and what the guidelines say is if it is higher than it says 140 over 90, but if it is elevated. Um, then you take a second one within one to two minutes. So okay, I can so tell you, you that doesn't happen very often. Yeah, so, so take a second reading is, is very important there. Absolutely. The one thing that I can see throughout all the studies that I looked at is that 
you, we should not be basing diagnosis or, or uh, efficacy of treatment on one measurement, that we should be getting at least two in the office. And there's some suggestion of three. The sprint trial actually did three, tri three blood pressures. Um, and that we should be averaging, in them, averaging them according to the AHA guidelines. And that we should be thinking about home pressure monitoring as well. Um, that the more, more measurement, the more valid that uh, the measurement is. So let's talk a little bit about, about that. So in my office as well, getting patients to sit in a chair with their feet on the floor and their back support and a proper size cuff is not happening yet, but we're planning on trying to make that transition. Home blood pressure monitoring has really become very important. Can you talk about how you complete that with a patient? Well, you would really go over all of the same things that I just mentioned. They should be sitting comfortably. They don't want them slouching on a couch, but they want them in a chair that is that has back support, that their arm is supported, that the, the cuff is, is appropriately applied to their arm. Um, the, it's an automated cuff is what is preferred because there's less room for error than an oscillatory. And that's true also in an office. Um, so all of the points that I just mentioned, that has to be supported and, and given to the patient. So basically saying to the patient, here's your cuff, even if you have one in the office, sending them home is not an appropriate amount of training. You really have to spend the time going over how they should apply it, that they should get, you know, they can do a single reading or they can do two, one to two minutes apart, but they should check it in the morning when they get up and just before they go to bed. Um, that the AHA actually has um, some videos online that you can send, uh, give the patient if they have access to the internet. Um, the problem is, is getting the, the cuff and getting them a, an accurate cuff. So generally what we do in my practice and was recommended here is you have them bring the cuff in and you, you, uh, you show them how to apply it, you show them how to take it, and um, you, know, you calibrate it with your hopefully you know, recently accurate. calibrated blood pressure monitoring in your office. Well, I, I love that, and I've actually really enjoyed um, patients checking their pressures at home and sending me information via the portal. It goes right in their chart, and I feel very comfortable looking at those numbers and say, all right, uh, that's a much more accurate reading than what's happening here when they're a little bit nervous or the room is too cold or whatever, and, and feel, feel very comfortable. Let's talk a little bit, um, now that we've been able to accurately take a blood pressure, uh, about what the current treatment diagnost diagnostic uh, guidelines are and um, how to apply that in your practice. Well, it's, it's really rather confusing right now. The JNC-8 came out, um, I want to say two years ago now, maybe three, and they had actually loosened the uh, requirements a little bit or the, or the diagnostic criteria and raised it up because they felt that there wasn't, when they looked at the evidence, there wasn't a lot of benefit to bringing people's blood pressure down to such low levels. The SPRINT trial came out, as you remember, and it was looking at older folks and found they found that they had compelling evidence that they should bring the, the values back down. So the AHA and the ACC came out with joint guidelines that um, made the blood pressure uh, diagnostic criteria a little more stringent. So um, elevated, they have, they have several categories. There's elevated blood pressure, which is systolic is 120 and 129, and diastolic uh, less than 80 is considered um, elevated. Um, stage 1 is 130 to 139 systolic, or diastolic 80 to 89, and stage 2 is a systolic pressure equal to or greater than 140, and a diastolic equal to or greater than 90. Um, 
they basically say if you have elevated uh, hyper, if you have elevated blood pressure, not hypertension, so that's in the 120 to 130, that we should be really instituting lifestyle changes, and it's diet, exercise, and, and those are, we all know those, those guidelines very well. For the folks who are in stage one, they don't recommend treatment. They recommend lifestyle modifications across the board and treatment only if they have a cardiovascular risk that's greater than 10% over the next 10 years. So that means that we need to be calculating that for our patients. Um, so they're really saying don't institute treatment with medication until you understand what their risk factors are. And then um, if people have the uh, stage two, they do think that you start lifestyle modification, but you also um, you also start medication at that point. Um, and along those lines, there was um, I, I read an editorial um, by Bell et al. And what they extrapolated is based on these new guidelines that there could be as many as 31 million more people diagnosed with hypertension, and that based on that stage two hypertension diagnosis, that there could be up to 4.2 million people who would need treatment immediately. Um, that's astonishing. And, and when you think that we're basing treatment, diagnosis and treatment, on ina possibly inaccurate values, mm -hmm. um, it really is something we need to take very seriously. Well, I, I, I like the consistent way to approach obtaining blood pressure measurements both in the office and at home. And I um, think uh, there's so much confusion about the stages of hypertension. The 140 over 90 seems to apply to most people in primary care. The, the lesser, the, the stage one, uh, where it's less than 139 and, and less, than, less than 90, um, certainly seems to be uh, something that, that necessitates we don't just take for granted, we calculate the risk. And, and we institute lifestyle changes. Any thoughts in particular about, besides diet and exercise with regard to lifestyle changes? Well, you know, people um, often will, will take medications over the counter, um, such as, as NSAIDs. We know that NSAIDs can cause hypertension, and we often don't ask about those things when they come in. So if somebody has um, an issue with um, you know, with hypertension or getting a, not getting it under control, we really have to be, a, be really careful about assessing that. Um, and then, you know, what to, not just about their diet and exercise, how much alcohol are they drinking? We know that there is a, a correlation between uh, moderate to heavy drinking and increased blood pressure. So sometimes we're, we are uh, seeing an end result but not, not mitigating what might be a secondary cause. Um, and then you always want to you always want to rule out secondary causes. You know, is there hypothyroidism? Is there some other issue going on? Susan, I think this is fantastic. A great deal of confusion about both how to obtain blood pressure and the new guidelines. You've been able to summarize them here today. There's quite a bit more on diagnosis and management of hypertension at primed.com. Thank you for joining me today. Thank you. Practice pointer approach diagnosis and management of hypertension on appropriately measured blood pressure. That is, patients sitting with their feet supported on the floor, their back supported in a chair without speaking for five minutes, and use a well-calibrated cuff, both in your office and at home. Join us next time when we talk about uh, post-operative pain analgesia and safe use of medications. And visit us at primed.com to stay current on many primary care topics.
Thank you for listening to Frankly Speaking About Family Medicine, brought to you by PrimeMed. For more information about the article referenced in today's episode, look under the resources section of the episode landing page. Need help reaching your CME credit goal this year? If so, please browse the more than 300 free CME accredited activities now available on PrimeMed.com. Thank you again for listening.